I know you can track with me on this stuff. And uh, we'll see if we can get through it all and make sense of it all. I believe that this is a word that the Lord has given me for now. Not only for our church, for, for our city, for our nation, and for what the Lord is doing globally. And uh, you may notice that there is a rise politically in something called populism. Have you heard the term? Populism. Populism is a political approach that strives to... There we are. A political approach that strives to appeal to ordinary people by putting a wedge between them and the elite and specifically talking about the concerns of the everyday person. That's not a bad thing, but when taken to an extreme, it separates and it divides and it causes all kinds of factions. Some of you who are thinking ahead of me may think I'm talking about specific right-wing parties or right-wing individuals. But actually, populism and populists are found on both sides of the spectrum politically. So right-wingers and left-wingers can very much be populists. A very populist, or excuse me, a very liberal uh, newspaper, The Guardian, had an article recently on the rise of populism and what it means. And if we look at it this way, this was part of the report that they had done, And they had people from different spectrums. So you see left and right are uh, represented there. Right is uh, blue and left is red. And you see people like Angela Merkel of Germany and how she is very low as not a populist. She is trying to rule according to what she believes is right, and it doesn't matter how people think. What she did, for example, with the refugee open policy Uh, A few years ago in Germany, she changed the climate in Germany. But that caused a reaction within Germany. You find people like Tony Blair. And the spectrum is from very populist, people like Hugo Chavez, all the way down. And you can see the the different spectrum there. Our neighbor to the south, Donald Trump, is right about the middle there, 0.8. But you can see it's in multiple nations. And this was based on a study of 40 nations, and they have been monitoring to see how the speeches of politicians use populist-type language. Populist, in other words, they appeal to the people's needs and wants. You can see it not just in the West. This is having a look at it here in, in, in Europe. You see that there's a rise in populism. The dark blue is the nations that have gone totally populist, and I'm not talking left or right. I'm talking about how their politicians are appealing to the people. In other words, they're not necessarily doing things that are good or right, but they're doing what the people want. It's the democracy on steroids, but with no, no controls. And then you find other nations that are being affected by it. Uh, if you look at it from the year 2003, it looks like this. as far as the speeches and the rhetoric of the politicians. It goes up into the billions. 2.5 billion last year. 
people were under politicians that were talking a populist message. It's got nothing to do with left and right. It's got to do with appealing to the people. Which makes me believe that today more than ever, the whole world needs more from the children of God. And that's you and me. In the face of what we heard last week, or two weeks ago now, with the downing of Ukrainian Air 752, uh, yeah, 752, and the disaster that happened after that, and all the pain that it's caused so many people, including people within our congregation, the world demands, needs, wants, longs for more from the church. So what I'm going to take you through right now is a realization to help open it up for us, to show us the kind of people that live in the world. And according to some sociologists, it's broken down into two types of people. One of these guys is David Goodhart, a writer and a thinker from the United Kingdom, who has been observing the dynamics within the UK. And the UK has always been the United Kingdom, a kingdom that the sun would not set on, if you know what I mean by that. It was the colonies from the east to the west that were colonies of the United Kingdom. Singapore, Hong Kong, other nations in the far, west, far east, all the way to the far west. Canada was a colony as part of the Commonwealth. So the United Kingdom, the sun would always be on one of the nations that were within the United Kingdom. It was a very open kingdom. It had helped many nations. But within that kingdom, you find that recently there is a move to separate itself from the rest of Europe because it doesn't want to be affected by the policies and the decisions that Europe, European Union is making. So in the midst of that, he's been thinking, David Goodhart, and he talks about the road to somewhere, populist revolt, and the future of politics. He's making a social commentary about this. And in his writings, he talks about two types of people that exist in every society. Two extremes. One that he calls somewheres, and one that he calls anywheres. And these people have an identity and a self-worth. Everybody does. The somewheres are identified in their sense of belonging to a place. Most of you here have either migrated to Canada or are children of those who migrated to Canada. So the sense of place for you may be a little bit different than someone who's been in Canada for seven, eight generations. Right? It doesn't make you not an anywhere, or not a uh, somewhere, but an anywhere, where the anywheres don't have the same sense of attachment. And I'm not talking about countries, necessarily. Generally speaking, the anywheres are a little bit higher educated. They have a higher college degree. And their job requirement is such that they would have to move from city to city within a nation, or even between provinces or between nations. So their sense of attachment is not as strong. The uh, somewheres have a very strong sense of group, national identity, even sometimes as small as a city identity or provincial identity, right? You find a lot of that beginning to surface in Canada with the West and the East, 
Within Alberta, there's a separatist movement that's growing. And these people are now becoming more and more leaning towards the somewheres, as far as being Albertans, as opposed to the everywheres, or anywheres rather, being Canadians. Whereas for the anywheres, their sense of self-worth isn't coming, or identity isn't coming from the group that they belong to, as much as it's coming from what they've achieved in life. Whether it's a degree, whether it's a career, whatever it is. The somewheres are very accustomed to having a sense of familiarity with their environment, their social structure, their city, their group, whereas the anywheres are more attached to the position that they hold. They talk along the lines of, what do you do? As opposed to, who are you? For the somewheres, their identity is given to them by the group they belong to. It's ascribed to them. It's given to them. They don't have to make anything happen to have their identity. They're born this way. They're always this way. You find that sometimes in certain religious affiliations. My grandparents were this religion. I have to be this religion. You know, when we start speaking to people in Turkey, and some of them come to faith, they say, can Turks be Christians? As though that was a new thing. That's an impossibility. But Turkey was the first nation that the gospel went to after Israel. Think about it. It's all upside down. Whereas for the somewhere, uh, the anywheres, they're more achievement. Uh, they're achieving their identity. They're making their own identity. For a lot of us who have come to Canada in the last generation or two, we have become who we are because of who we have made ourselves be in the nation. Those that are somewhere seek security. That's their foundation. They're secure in their identity, they're secure in their environment and their social structures, whereas the anywheres are more open and free. They're open to new ideas. They're open to new things. As far as history, the somewheres are rooted in the past. They look at their historical past and that makes them who they are. Whereas the anywheres are more open to social diversity, intermarriage between races intermarriage between different uh, people groups. Not just physical marriage, but ideas and concepts. And you can see that both of these are present to some degree. About 25% of the population, it's estimated, are the anywheres. About 50% are the somewheres. And the balance is somewhere in the middle. That's who your neighbors are. If you're not careful... You're probably in there somewhere too. Why do I say if you're not careful? Does it make sense to be somewhere or the other? We'll talk about that. Let's go ahead and look at the beginning of how it all started. In Genesis chapter 1, the scripture tells us that God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds of the sky and every other living creature that moves on the ground. Keep, keep portion there. Fill the earth. In other words, don't stay in one place. Cover the whole earth. Fill it up. 
When Noah's time came and God spoke to Noah after the flood, they came out of the ark and God speaks to Noah and he says to him and to his sons and, and he says to them, he blesses them and he says, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. Again, he's highlighting the filling of the earth. He didn't say to them, remain Armenians in Armenia around Mount Ararat and be stuck there. He said to them, go fill the whole earth. Interesting. What does that mean about God? Is he somewhere or anywhere? In Genesis 11, after the flood, the children of Noah multiplied. And it says in the scriptures that the whole world had one language and one common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They dug roots. They weren't going over to other parts of the world anymore. And then they said to themselves, they said to one another, Come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used the bricks instead of stone and tar for mortar. They said, then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we can make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Notice that at that point, he's talking about the population of the whole earth. Everyone that was there. And they moved together, and they all had one language. They had an identity. There was no other language. And within all of this, they said, let's build ourselves a city and stay in this city so that we don't become scattered. Let's make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered across the whole world. This was the first time in the history, biblically, where something shifted from the idea of God as far as what humanity should be to existing as somewheres. They didn't call themselves that. They didn't use David Goodhart's language. But that's what they became. They became somewheres. And they wanted to be stuck there. So God comes along and he says, you know what? I have a solution. I'll mix up their languages. And they started to scatter now according to their own language because each one who spoke a language found the others that he can communicate with. And the others that didn't speak that language became the foreigners, even though they may have been blood brothers and sisters and cousins before that. They were all descendants from Noah. But all of a sudden, nations started to form based on language. And they became somewhere focused and wars started between them big wars and it continued and in the midst of all of this people started to worship different idols they started to shift away from god and god found one man his name was abram and he goes to abram and he says to him go from your country your people and your father's household to the land i will show you leave your somewhere and come with me to anywhere. Where are you going to take me? Anywhere I take you. Where's it going to be? Just follow me. I'll take you to somewhere. But it's not going to be the somewhere you were familiar with. In other words, God comes to, Mo, uh, to Abram. And that whole list of items that we had on the left, he shatters them all. And he takes them to a people that language he didn't understand. He had to learn to speak e Egyptian when he went and visited Egypt. 
He had to learn all of these different things. But he says to him, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. Remember, let's make our name great when they built the tower. Let's make a name for ourselves. And, I will, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And you and all peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. So he's not talking about a somewhere type person anymore. But he's talking about a person that is a tool or an instrument of blessing everybody. Everybody. He says to him, I'll make you a great nation. A nation whose God is king. Right? So he's talking about a kingdom. He says, I will bless you. I will make you a blessing. And all the people of the earth will be blessed by you. That was all up to Abraham's time. Come Abraham's grandson, Isaac, Jacob, right? The grandson, Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons. They got rid of their one brother because they thought he was a dreamer. And they sold him off as a slave. He ends up in Egypt. He comes second in command to Pharaoh. And there's a famine in the land. And his brothers send people to Egypt to buy wheat because God had given Joseph a plan how to save the wheat in the seven plenty years so in the seven famine years they would have it. So his brothers come and now they're going to sit down to have a meal with him. Look at the order. They serve him by himself Joseph and the brothers by themselves and the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves. Everybody was separate at a meal. Why? Because Egyptians could not eat with the Hebrews, for that is detestable to Egyptians. So the Egyptians by that time had also become somewhere kind of people, where they were about themselves, even though they had enough wheat to feed the whole world. They kept protectionism, make Egypt great again. All of that, I'm sorry, that was a little bit too political. But I think you know what I'm talking about. That's populism, by the way, in action, right? The Egyptians could not eat with the Hebrews, for that was detestable. The Hebrews weren't even sure how to handle themselves. They came from somewhere, but they were reaching out to the anywhere to get food to take back to somewhere. That was all in the Old Testament. I can keep going with examples, but I'm going to jump to the New Testament when Jesus... How did Jesus deal with somewhere and and anywhere? When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, I will give you, uh, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy some food. And when the woman, the Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew. And I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? You Jews are somewhere people. You don't like us. We're different than you. And we're Samaritan. We're also somewhere people. We don't like you. We're not anywhere people with each other. We have boundaries. We don't want to mix. We want to protect ourselves. Jesus was open to that. Matthew 28, his last command to the church, to his disciples before he was taken up into the heavens. He said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them 
in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And I surely and surely I'm with you always to the end of the age. So Jesus wasn't somewhere focused. He came for the children of Israel because that was the vehicle God had promised Abraham that he was going to work through to be a blessing for all the nations. So he had to first redeem them to make them ready. But even in his process, he dealt with the Samaritan. He dealt with the Syrophoenician. He dealt with the people from outside that region. He actually wrote a letter to the king of Armenia who was sick and told him, I can't come to you because I'm working with the children of Israel. But when I'm dead and resurrected after my life here is over, I will send you to my disciples. And they went. Bartholomew and Tadeus went to Armenia and healed the king and the gospel started to get preached in Armenia. That was the first blessing of a nation. One of them. So he's telling him here, go into all the nations. In Acts chapter 8, after Jesus has caught up and gone to heaven, his disciples, one of them, Philip, is walking along and the Spirit catches him and moves him into, uh, out of, like, transports him, literally, physically transports him somewhere where there's a chariot with an Ethiopian eunuch who was reading from the book of Isaiah. And he approaches him, and and the guy says to him, tell me who the prophet is talking about, himself or someone else. Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said to him, look, here's water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. The eunuch answered, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. Philip was a Jew. He was one of the disciples. But the Lord used him to open the disciples, the rest of them, to the idea of taking the gospel to the nations. What Jesus had told them to do. They had stayed in Jerusalem, but now Jesus is mixing it up. Chapter 10 of Acts, Peter began to speak. He's at Cornelius' house. Cornelius was a Roman. And in the middle of him speaking and sharing the gospel with them, they start speaking in tongues. And Peter recognizes that these people were filled with the Holy Spirit. He was, up until then, he was very close-minded about the gospel going to the nations. And he was very much a somewhere type Jewish Christian. But all of a sudden, as these people started to speak in tongues... He says, now I realize how true it is that God will not show any favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. No one can stand, surely no one can stand in the way of being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have, so they ordered to be baptized, he ordered them to be all baptized in the name of Jesus. So from the beginning, we see something of a pattern developing. God created with a global vision, go into all the world, subdue the earth, fill it. Adam was told to fill the earth. Noah was told to fill the earth. Noah's descendants, as a group, they wanted to belong together and they wanted to remain in one spot. Let's settle here and build a city. Abraham was made into a nation so that he can be a blessing to all the nations. Do you see a pattern here? Somewhere, anywhere? The descendants of Noah had already begin to de- began to develop characteristics of somewheres. In the New Testament, we see Jesus is talking about, associated with the others. He sat down with all of these people that were different from him. 
and he, or different from the Jews. He sent the disciples to all the nations. Philip baptized the Ethiopian. Peter baptized Cornelius. Paul took the gospel to all the other nations. He first went into Turkey, and from Turkey he went across through Greece and then uh, Italy and then across all the way to Rome. He was taking the gospel to the non-Jews. He became an anywhere type person, or did he? Or did he? So let's look at this again. The somewheres and the anywheres. I propose to you that God is an everywhere type person. And he wants his church to be an everywhere type person. He wants his children to be everywhere type people. You belong somewhere, but your mind and your heart is everywhere as well. You care for your local, but you think global. We're in the society right now where tensions are building, where the populist is rising, the somewhere and the anywhere are fighting with one another. The somewheres in Iran want to control the, go- the government, they want to control the religion, they want to control who can believe what, they want to control what happens outside of their borders with Iraq, with Lebanon, with Syria, with all of these different things. They want to control Israel, they want to control, control, control. The U.S. is beginning to do the same. The West was always about sending missionaries to all of these different places. But now the West is becoming tighter and tighter. Guess who the greatest sender will become soon? Korea is one of the greatest ones, by the way. China is right back behind them, if not exceeded them already. Why? Is it because they're so large? Korea is not that large. China is huge. But so is India. What's going on in the world? There's a cultural shift that's happening, a societal shift that's happening. And the church is needed to step into the middle of that, not be one or the other, but be the solution to both and recognize that both are off track and both need one another and both need to come together into the kingdom of God. So what are the characteristics of this God and this everywhere type person? It has a sense of place, this person, but it also has a global focus. The achievement is within the group. The group is achieving it. We are achieving this together. That's why we're striving together. We're contending together, not against one another, but so that we can all find our place and each person does what they are called to do. There's something that we each have to bring. There's an element that you need me for and I need you for. It is the completeness of the body. It's the completeness of the interactions of the body coming together to fulfill the dream of God. It is familiarity, but it's also position. We've got to know where we belong. If I don't take my position, you can't take yours. This sounds kind of abstract, right? Is it? If the hand in the body doesn't act as the hand, but wants to act as the foot, what's the foot going to do? Have you ever seen anybody walk with their hands, with their feet dangling in the air? It looks kind of funny because the feet just dangle. They're trying to maintain balance. That's not what they're equipped to do. They're equipped to be planted and solidly on the ground and keep the rest of the body in check. That's what I'm talking about. We have to understand our historical, but look into the future. Look into where God is taking us. This church building, built by Armenians, 
with a dream that they would be able to reach the Armenians in the city. They haven't been able to yet. I don't think anybody has yet. The Armenians are very hard ground. Those of you from Iran think of the Armenians, oh, they're the Christians, they're our older brother. That's not the reality. They've been open enough in this church to open their heart and their doors to all kinds of other groups, especially when at the beginning, when the well came together, the English church came with a lot of Iranians, and all of, the, all of a sudden the Armenians and the Iranians were worshipping together, and you couldn't tell who's who. You know, the olive skin is somewhat similar between the two. And then a few years ago, the Asians came in, and that mixed it up, but you still can't tell who's who. We're all one. We look back at our history, we recognize that we have distinctives and uniquenesses, but we also are looking forward to what the Lord is doing, and we're reacting to what the Lord is doing. We're watching what He's doing. We recognize that the Lord is moving amongst Iranians today, and we want to open our hearts to to experience, to have Iranians experience more of God in ways that they haven't yet experienced, and we're seeing the shift happening among you here, and we're expecting that we're going to be able to touch the Iranian community deeper and deeper in the Toronto area and beyond. Everywhere kind of people. We look for security, but we're open to to change. If the Lord says, pack up and go somewhere, we're ready to go. The Lord spoke to us almost three years ago, and he said, sell. And we sold the building. We're still in it. We're still contending with the parking lot. We're still contending with seats. But we're open to what he says. We don't rest our security on what we have already. We're ready to expand to do whatever he wants to do. We have our own group sense, but we're open to diversity. Just look around the room. That's the kind of people that are kingdom people that this world requires and needs. There is movements, religious movements that are happening all over the world. And I'm not talking about a movement like the, you know, an organization or something like that. I'm talking about movements from one faith to the other. The largest movement right now in the church and into the church is in Iran. A couple of weeks ago, I stood on this stage and I shared with you about King Cyrus. And I was telling you, let's pray that there would be a new King Cyrus rising up in Iran. A king that is open to the voice of God and open to executing the heart of God. And I believe that that still is our prayer. And when we hear the news of a government that shoots down a plane full of its own people, our heart breaks. Yes, it could be human error. Absolutely. But that's even scarier. That that kind of error can happen. It wasn't the first plane after the bombings in Iraq. It was plane number seven or eight to take off from the Tehran airport. So it wasn't just like, you know, a reaction. I don't know. But I know one thing. God is still in control. God is above all of this. But we need to have our eyes fixed on who He is, His goodness, and where we fit with Him. We don't fit as somewhere people. We're not going to be so attached to our thing that anybody else doesn't belong with us. We're not going to continue that kind of humanity. 
We're not going to be so everywhere, or anywhere rather, that we're just scattered and we hop from one place with another with no roots. We have to know our past. It's, that, it's for that very reason that God gave the feasts to the nation of Israel, that they would remember all of the times that he blessed them and he worked with them. The Passover. Every year they break bread together and they remember the Passover when they came out of Egypt. Why? Because they look back to know who they are, to be able to go forward as to who they're going to be. That's what God tried to teach them. But they eventually drifted and drifted and drifted and they became somewhere people as well. They became closed to others. There was no light that was being shined or shown that was coming out of Israel to evangelize the neighbors. If they were going to be true to the promise of God to Abraham, how can they but share that God with the others? Solomon had, by virtue of the temple, it scared everybody, so everybody came running and they married him. But that wasn't it either. But now the Lord has brought his church to be his dream fulfilled of being an everywhere people. Where we are locally grounded. We care for our city. We care for our province. We care for our nation. But we care likewise for every other nation. We have dreams with God for every other nation. We heard this from Cynthia Park when she was here. And she, says to, uh, she told us that we are nation shakers. You forgot that. It was almost two years ago. Over two years ago. She saw the Lord come in with his armies and angels come in to equip us to become nation shakers. But we live in Toronto. Yeah, Rob travels to China once in a while or India and I go to wherever. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about this whole church being nation shakers. And the nations are right here in our city. So we have to be able to cross the boundaries between our own identity, our own cultural group, our own people, our own language, our own culture, our own colors, and cross across to the others that are different from us and take the love of God to them and bring them into the same ideology. Because that is attractive. That is what makes a difference in this world. So with that, I want to shift gears. Last week we had planned to take a few minutes in the service and pray for the survivors of the family members that have died in the flight. I want to share a small story. Monday night last week, after we had canceled our service so we couldn't do what we had planned to do, I went to a prayer vigil or a prayer meeting here in the city that was called for the violence in the city, the gun violence. And with my position within Mission GTA, they invited me to take five minutes and to talk and pray about Ukrainian Air 752. I shared with them very briefly about King Cyrus and what he had said about going up to, to Jerusalem. And then we prayed. I prayed blessing over Iran. I prayed blessing over the people of Iran. Over the families of those that have been, been affected. And I prayed specifically for the current government of Iran and blessed it. I know that that could be very hurtful to some of you. How can you bless such people? That's what we're called to do. 
we're called to bless our enemies. Those who persecute us. Those who curse us. Those who mistreat us. Why? Because blessing, I taught you this earlier, is declaring identity for the purpose of fulfilling God's destiny. So if I curse someone, I'm declaring a false identity so that they would never fulfill God's destiny. But by blessing them, I'm opening the window of heaven over them that they would come into alignment with God's will. That's what blessing is. The service was over. Two, three minutes after the service was done, this older man comes to me, older because I'm 61, and he's probably about 72 or 3. He comes running to me, he goes, the family that you were talking about, the mother and the son, is that Shakiba? I said, Shakiba as in Shakiba and Shaheen? He goes, yes. I said, let me show you a picture. I don't need to see a picture, he says. I said, what do you mean? He says, I know them. I said, how do you know them? He said, they came to this church back in 2013. One of the young people that we were helping was a refugee from Iran, and he had come to the Lord, and he moved into the same house as them. And on a Sunday morning, he grabbed Shaheen by the hand, and he said, you, come, you have to come in with me to church, and you have to meet Ross. The guy's name is Ross. So I'm standing there listening to this guy, and tears are beginning to run down my face. And he says to me, and I prayed with them, and they accepted the Lord. And he says, Saturday night, I went to the memorial at Shaheen's house before he went to Iran on Sunday. And there was this guy there, Dawson. And Jesus is just flowing out, pouring from this guy. Bless you, Dawson. Well done. And he says, and I went afterwards and I, congratu- or, or, or I, I hugged Shaheen. I expressed my condolences. And I told him, brother, you go and come back safe from Iran. He says, no, no, no. I'm not your brother. He says, what do you mean? He goes, you're my father. And they hugged and they wept together. We don't know what God is up to. We don't know how God is weaving his purposes and his plans. We don't know how many other of our brothers and sisters are on that flight that passed away and went into Jesus' presence already. We have no clue. We don't know how many on that flight at that moment made decisions. But we do know that God is still on the throne. So I'm going to invite, specifically from within the Iranian people among us, if you feel ready to stand here with me, and to pray a blessing over the people of Iran, in Iran and outside, over the government of Iran, the leaders of Iran, those that you may think are not good leaders today. But if you're ready to stand with me, I'm going to be praying a blessing over them. So I'm going to invite from among you any of the Iranians that want to come and join me to do that. So I'm going to ask us all to turn and face that way. That's southeast. 
which is the direction of Iran from where we are today. If any of you that are non-Iranians that want to stand with them, I, I invite you to come and join them as well. Father God, you can repeat with me. Father God, we bless your name. We declare you lifted up. We lift you higher. We lift you as high as high can be. We recognize that you are the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and that your word is true, that no one takes authority without you giving it to them. So, Father, we pray for the nation of Iran today. We pray for your blessing over every one of the people that have Iranian descent. Iranian descent. We pray for them in Iran. We pray for them outside Iran. We pray for them here in Toronto. We pray for your blessing, your peace, your comfort. Lord, and any confusion, we replace it with stability. Any discomfort in the heart right now, we replace it with your peace. Any fear, we cast out. In Jesus' name. And likewise, Lord, we pray for the leaders. Lord, we know that they have their own agenda. But we bring that agenda under your feet. We bless them with wisdom. We bless them with the wisdom of Cyrus. With the ears to hear like he heard. With the heart to obey like he obeyed. With a heart for the people. And a heart for you. We bless them, Lord, to transform Iran today. If not them, Lord, then raise up Osiris. Okay, you were very strong to say that, but not as strong to bless them. I want you to check your heart. I wasn't going to go there, but the Spirit told me to say that. I want you to check your heart. Check your heart. Check your heart. Why can you agree to replace them with Osiris, but not for them to become Osiris? So, Father, we repent. We repent of our judgment. We repent of our bias. We repent of our desire for revenge. And we open ourselves up to you. And we align our heart with yours. So, Father, today may your will be done. In Iran and through Iran. I pray the peace of God of every one of you. I'm sorry for what you are going through. I'm sorry for the pain. But I know that God aches with you. You have been, many of you, out of the country for so many years. You've left your homes, you've left your lands, your businesses. 
because you wanted something different. And the Lord brought you to this land and he will not leave you. Like all the rest of us whose parents have migrated, some of us who have been here for seven, eight generations, we're no different. Those that are Canadians for many generations are the same. They wanted something better. And in Canada, when a person achieves the highest place of honor, the government of Canada gives them a medal called the Order of Canada. And inscribed on it are the words from Hebrews that says in Latin, they desired a better country. So, Father, together we bless Canada. The land of your dreams and the land that has become our dreams. So we ask for your peace upon us right now. And Lord, as we leave here today, may your comfort and your strength go with us. May you transform us into everywhere people that we know who we are, but we also love the different other. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you. And may he open wide ways before you and give you his peace, his shalom. God bless you all.